0: zoom has officially let us know that they're recording in progress the update everybody on my car is that it is still not registered in spain um someday me and the spanish bureaucracy will get along i think that's far for the course i think honestly yeah. I can, i'm kind of at the point where if i can get it under a year uh i'm feeling pretty good yeah i wow. think that would be that's that's a, that'd be impressive
1: actually. just gathering <laughs> gathering dust without plates somewhere in a <laughs> In the street
0: that's right. That's right. Well, no, 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 it's being driven, you know. Yeah, you can uh, drive it. Oh, Every, everybody, that is that is Nolan Sharp's voice. Welcome <laughs> to the uh, Rabbit Trails podcast, Nolan Sharp. Uh, it's good to have you. Yeah, Nolan, thank you. Is, it's wonderful to be here. Nolan is a seasoned and wonderful staff in uh, Croatia. He has been on staff for a goodly number of years. How many staff, How many years have you been on staff with uh, clu- Agape New Life Crew? What do we call right. it in
1: Croatia? If you include uh, Stint Twenty One.
0: Twenty one years. That's pretty very that's nice. Pretty awesome. And uh, notice on you were you were reminiscing on Facebook the other day. Uh, if anybody wants to go and stalk you, uh, you're yeah. 25 years ago-ish. You met your wife in yeah. Croatia. Uh, yeah, I
1: came. I pictures. came. Yeah. I came on a summer project and I was trying to, I couldn't figure out what date it was exactly, but it's been a quarter century since I first landed in Zagreb as part of a little team. That was the first summer project after the war. And, uh, um, we wow. had a, we had a great summer, but the main event was I met my wife who had just joined staff.
0: Well, listen, I looked through those pictures and, uh, both of you guys, I haven't really aged in 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really impressive because, uh, just in the last couple of years, I don't know. Maybe the move to Spain in midlife has uh, added a few gray hairs. Maybe, maybe a little bit it's, too much wine. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's also
2: the Mediterranean diet, I think. Uh, there, you it's yep. That's there you go. True. Croatia, a fantastic country. Uh, I'm. Uh, I, I have a fascination with the Balkans in general, and so I, got, yeah. I finally got to visit a few years ago on a vacation and went to um, Split.
0: All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. After a short technical difficulty, the the gods of the internet decided that uh, I should no longer be heard and uh, kicked me off. And as the person who was recording this uh, this uh, shindig, uh, we got stopped. I'm sure Garrick was in the middle of something. You know, I, I was incredible.
2: To, I was talking about how great a country Croatia was, and then Nolan was. I've only been there. I spent a week there, and it's an amazing place. But then Nolan was going to tell us some more about what a great country
1: yeah i mean it's it's a uh, um uh, there's so many things about the pace of life here and uh that are just really enjoyable. Um, but it is a it's really beautiful country. People are very um warm and they have a very deep sense of their roots, as I'm sure is also true in Spain. And uh um and and it's just that there's a weight of history here, which can be extremely difficult mm-hmm. um to bear, but there's also um a depth to everything that is um just really um uh, uh, breathtaking sometimes. And and being also you know learning Croatian it's kind of like well it's a language spoken by about 4 million people but it's also pretty much the same language as it's spoken in Serbian and in Bosnia and so you get this experience of being able to be with people who are um and really understand people who you know at this meeting point of basically the former east and west of the the whole roman world which then led to having a catholic and orthodox division and then islam as well being present in bosnia it's it's a it's a pretty uh, amazing mix of things to have people that are that have hundreds and hundreds of centuries in their tradition that actually I mean hundreds of years in their traditions that actually share the same language more or less so they can all talk to each other it's a really really interesting mix Mm -hmm.
2: it you know so if you if you're able to because I know it's 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 maybe a a bit of a delicate theme um but okay so I'll that's one point I get to I, I ask these really convoluted questions sometimes um, but I'll, I'll get there. So, you know, as thinking as being, you're, you're a theologian, uh, someone who thinks a lot about theology and that, you, you know, you, you, you have a master's degree and you study theology, right? you, you know, so yeah. um, so obviously you've been living in a place with, where you've been able to probably do a lot of thinking and practical work uh, in a certain context, you know, in a very, uh, in probably an intense con- context context uh, in Croatia and the Balkans, um, as, as you were kind of alluding to. So as, as you came right after the, the war, war, which yeah. even for younger listeners that maybe don't remember as well, or yeah. didn't, didn't know about, yeah. uh, but, uh, but a really, really brutal time in the history of, of the Balkans. Um, how, how have you seen, you know, how, 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 I guess the question is how have you dealing with issues of pain uh, sin, mm. you know, obviously genocide, things that have gone on. How have you seen mm. your own ministry or even the gospel kind of have to fit into that and, and work and what, what's, uh, what's that been like?
1: Or- yeah. Wow. Well, there's um, <clears throat> definitely, you're always wrestling with the whole question of the relationship between faith and um, national identity. Mm. So, um, which has become more of a hard issue, I think for us as Americans over the last, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the time that I've lived here and um, so one factor in that definitely is, is the, the unique position evangelical churches have in um, this part of the world is that they're about the only religious identity a person can take on that um, doesn't it, – it requires a compromise or a betrayal maybe of their own um, uh, national faith tradition, but it, it doesn't ask them to now identify with a different one. So uh, a large number of people who've come to Christ um, in this part of the world, um, going back qu- quite a time, uh, actually have been people from mixed marriages or people who are from kind of the, the border identities um, in this part of the world because of um, the um you know like all parts of europe americans look at europe and see spain and they see france and stuff and think that these are very monolithic societies or at least used to be but they they're not there's there's so many different you know minorities of minorities and um uh, uh, countries or places where subregions like in spain view themselves as very distinctly not the 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 top level national identity so um that's led to i think a lot of um really interesting Theologizing here, and of course, a famous, famous example of that is going to be Miroslav Volf, who yeah. is, um, I think, the most famous, the the most famous Croat outside of Croatia, especially in proportion to how little known he is inside of Croatia. I've told people that often. I'd say, like, do you know who the most intellectually influential Croat in the world right now is? And it could very well be Miroslav Volf, and people yeah. are like, I don't know who that is, yeah. but he's a he's a theologian who, uh, you know, came up in the um, uh, his father was a, a Pentecostal pastor in not in Croatia, but he's a Croatian family in that um, northern part of Serbia, uh, and then came up through the the early efforts at theological education here, and then it is um, doctorate in Germany, I think, and then has been at Yale Divinity School for quite a while now. And he writes a lot about um, marginalization as a part of identity, and um, you know, he he his famous book Exclusion Embrace. He talks about how he grew up several different ways, marginalized because he was a Pentecostal which separated him from a normal Croatian identity, but he was growing up in Yugoslavia, weren't supposed to have any religion. Um, and then he was growing up in northern part of Serbia, where being um Croatian minority um was also a way of being kind of uh marginalized. So that that whole idea of kind of you know the the, the nations here are extremely religious by European standards, right? So um uh uh but the question of kind of how does how does the gospel interact with that, um, you know, questions of national identity is a really, really strong one. So I, I'm, I'm really amazed often by the, the, the persistence and the thoughtfulness and the creativity of a lot of the creation pastors and leaders and theologians I've known and facing into their situations. It's uh, and, and Serbs and some pastors in Bosnia, too. I mean, it's, it's really heavy work what they're doing.
0: What do you mean uh, creativity and?
1: Well, I think it- just in terms in terms of um, you know every day and every in church when you're responding to situations and you're you're feeling the the weight of your own um, su- cultures push towards something uh and you want to be patriotic and you know we've probably seen this as well like that that christian minorities often have a strong desire to to be viewed as good citizens and that goes all the way back to the very earliest days of, of christianity the early apologists you know, were trying to say mm-hmm. tell the emperor hey we're good citizens we're better citizens than a lot of other people are we just don't want to bow down and uh idolize the the state um and so just pastors have to navigate so many different uh things here christian leaders um and it can be really hard like there's there's a real sense of i, I i'm sometimes amazed at how um christian very mature christians have been uh, in christ a very long time though the the um the national markers of identity are so strong that it sort of never stops being an issue. Like not mm-hmm. being able to be somebody's um, uh, god godparents in mm-hmm. Croatia uh, in the in the Catholic Church. If you have been you know baptized and received into a, an evangelical church, that's a that's a pain point that kind of never goes away. Yeah, um, because it's a way of not being in the the web of relational networks with people that are lifelong big deals right right and and when you can't access that or be the maid of honor or uh, best man at a wedding uh religious wedding mm-hmm. things like that i don't know is that is that
0: yeah well, that, we, as you're yeah. talking about it it makes me go so i've had this I, I garrick and i have talked about this a lot um i've talked about it with uh well we've talked about it with shotsman and different other people uh maybe even on this podcast um i think ministry often in let's say majority Christian places or vestiges of, you know, bastions of evangelicalism have a lot to learn from uh, European leaders and pastors. Um, we don't mm-hmm. often sit at their feet and say, so we confuse numbers with success and godliness.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh,
0: oftentimes in the, in the kind of circles that we run in. And I, I, I wonder if some of the pastors, I know with some of the cultural shift that's gone on in America, UK, and some other places, uh, pastors, that 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 issue of national identification versus spiritual identification and, and following Jesus has become a very difficult one for people to wade into. Um, and trying to figure that out has become, well, uh, you know, pastors are losing their the people in their church because of political issues or whatever else. And I, I do wonder if there's something that the more Western American evangelical churches could learn from sitting at the feet of pastors of small churches in places like Croatia.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's a, yeah, I mean, there's a, it really is a need for there to be more of a two-way street and I, and I see that at times, but it's, it's definitely tricky for just the, um, I see Croatians looking at churches in the United States that they maybe have a connection with because of sending or missions or whatever. And if it's got 3000 people in it, like it takes a lot of time and maturity to kind of pull back from that a little bit and say, Hey, that's great. And that's really, really cool. And this church probably has tons of practical stuff they can offer us and experience in certain areas we haven't run into or whatever, but it's not an indication that like God loves them more. Has they have a whole yeah. bunch of stuff figured out that we don't. And I, I respect Leaders, I mean, one time, a guy who uh, maybe you guys know now, but I'll, I don't, I wouldn't want to reveal him on the podcast or whatever. But uh, um, was telling me how he was on uh, in the United States doing support raising, and he was in a huge youth group at a church in the South somewhere, and and the thought crossed his mind is he said, he said the the way this thing works, why people show up, why they're engaged, why they're excited to be here. Is very, very similar to the crowds of hundreds of people that will show up young people that will show up at a Catholic renewal event in his home uh, city on the coast in Croatia Mm -hmm. and that that so much of the dynamics are really, really the same. And that was a really important realization for him because, you know, he he was able to kind of say, oh, okay, there's things that go on when you have home field advantage uh in your faith tradition um and the kind of things you can build and what they end up looking like I, i'm a big believer in saying like if you got to recognize like whether if you're calling people back to the faith of their grandparents that's a hugely different thing than calling people away from the faith of their grandparents mm-hmm. yeah. so you know because americans can say like, we're so secularized we're so secularized but it's like yeah but if like one or two of your grandparents were baptists or something and you reconnect person with that it's a different thing than somebody who knows that their whole family has been Muslim for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you're asking them to, to now identify with Jesus instead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or as I experienced in Sweden, atheist for several generations, like we've we've had, we, we would have students tell us, wow, this sounds really great, but what would my family think if I had a faith? Like it was just, they were scared to admit that, that it was, You know, that was more in more honest moments. Most most people would say, "Oh, I can believe what I want to." My parents don't care. But then, when it came down to it, some people would go, "Yeah, that this feels very strange because my family we don't believe in God." And and wow, those even even in Sweden, where where individualism ranks very high. Wow,
2: we're we're still it feels you know still very much the the more the more we talk with people on this podcast, particularly working in Europe, that. We're still writing the rules a little bit right now about what oh, yeah. really what really is Europe, and so you know, because you're right. There's a there's a you know you can talk about pre-Christian, you can talk about post-Christian, you know, or you know the post is a word that gets thrown out all the time, and it, it, I'm not criticizing any of those terms, but they don't never, they don't really ever nail down exactly. They they get to a point I feel like uh, with trying to understand, because what you said there is like you're right. There's this huge difference uh in connecting people who maybe grew up in a church or have a church you know there's a different thing so even like with sweden what do you call that now that you have now generations and generations of atheism with, with certain people uh you know what is that you know how, how do you how do you define that and how do you tackle that And that's i think the yeah. big questions we're dealing with in europe um which which maybe leads to the the big question that you're working on right now nolan is uh within crew the you know the theology wait so, so how, i'm sorry i have the yeah, words th- I came, mind, no like, i
1: was, i name well uh the the name i came up for it was called the the network for theology uh in culture for mission, in culture
2: for mission yeah. and
1: so uh the reason for that would be that i think um i I'm a big fan of the missiological impulse inside of mission that Paul did his theologizing, all this theologizing that people love to read is all done, was all done in the course of his work and trying to figure out what the heck to do with um, these newly birthed churches that were not exclusively Jewish and how these people are all supposed to live together. And he's writing on the run, right? And he's saying all the things that he says, not, not as a download of some uh, catechism or some some overall systematic document but he's he's you know he's riding on the run and he's saying all these things and so his it, he was done it was theology in the context of mission um for mission and in in discussion with the cultural setting in which he found himself and so um because i know that if you there's a way in which i think sometimes people inside of um agape or whatever there's like a small certain number of people who fall in love with theology and then they kind of maybe there's a role for them to teach basic theology courses to other staff or something but it's not something it seems like we love to integrate a whole lot we use it as a boundary setting activity to go hey Mm -hmm. let's talk about like what is allowed to fit in our movement or not but i don't feel like we do a ton of like really intentional theological reflection in the we we don't help staff figure out how to do that i remember telling staff and i taught introduction to hermeneutics the ibs course the short courses we often do to staff in sarajevo and i remember one of the things i said to them i said like all of you now just by being here for a few years you have like more than enough grist for the mill to do like a master's in um missiology kind of you know degree or something go back to the states or whatever and i think one girl actually did it like she i think that was i saw the light go on in her head and she went back to go to grad school in the states and and just the the challenges of what you know people experience I me mean, barrett is listening to you guys podcast you now you and the you know, multiple countries you've gone through in this. I mean, that's a a huge, huge, like, I don't a mountain of, of experiences and data and stuff to, to, to refer from when you're talking to other people and, you know, yeah. trying to process mission and think about where we're at. Hey,
0: it's interesting because you, you were, you were mentioning this off camera, and I think that it's a, I, th- I thought it was a, a, a great, or off podcast since we don't this is not broadcast over youtube <laughs> not um <laughs> no one wants to see our faces let's be honest uh the, the the fact that we are i was having a conversation with one of the uh, um um uh, missions director within within crew at one point and you know it, it was the conversation of how could we get you know more people overseas and all these different things. And I kind of said, you know, it's interesting that we're, we're always consumed with this. Hey, let's get more numbers over, but we never actually want to own the fact that this is the moment in history of the world's largest missions movement, the Mm. world. And and can we just embrace that moment for a second of like, this is a big deal. Like, yeah, Yeah. not let's give ourselves on a pat on the back and and become arrogant, but to say, Holy moly, the
2: the world's never seen anything like this. The Great Commission
0: worked. Right, and this is a great thing to—it's a—it's a—it's a gift, and it's an honor to be in the middle of this age that we're in, and this this moment of 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 global missions. Um, and
1: we're about the same size as the part. Jesuits, right? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Yeah, like, and right. the Jesuits have had this—like, they're in history books all over the place for what they've right. done. I know that, like, that's not a comp- comparison evangelicals like to think about, but I'm reading a book on their their tradition of leadership and stuff, and I was like, man, there there's a lot of similarities in scale. <laughs> Uh, between where they are and what they do and like who we are and nobody overlooks the Jesuits when they talk about you know
0: impact history or, of nations and yeah, stuff. yeah yeah and so and so that's the, you know that was the point that you were making is that we're this we are we have so much experience and, and what I love about agape and and so many field ministries so it doesn't it just have to be crew agape it can be yeah it can be field ministries in general you bring so much experience so I was talking with a seminary prof of mine one time about he was just enjoying the fact that I was in the class because it you know I had 20 years of of missions experience when most of the people in the class, you know, maybe were interning at a church. And so for me, right. the conversation about soteriology was much more nuanced and the, the discussions that everyone else wanted to have in the class. And this isn't anything for that makes me special. It's was just I, I just lived some life and right. had practical experience. And so the the texture of the conversation that that we're able to bring. And so your effort and your desire to kind of start this conversation of theology and and adding to missions, you, you really feel, and I think that you're, you're sensitive to this, but also very keen. We, we have a lot to offer as mission practitioners to the conversation in a way that maybe even, you know, well-learned men in high ivory towers don't, don't, don't necessarily bring to the conversation because of the experience yeah. that we have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you just a, like a few things I think are really fascinating about Europe. Um, uh, Jeff Fountain, a guy who led YWAM in Europe for a long time and now runs like these things called State of Europe Forums. He, he came and spoke for us a couple of times and we've really, really enjoyed him. And um, I think he's he got a great ministry and he loves to give a presentation where he basically starts off and says, what is Europe? Why does Europe even exist? Why do we call Europe a continent? It's not a continent. It's the western end of Asia, um, which is a little bit you know, like shocking for people. But you remember all those weird definitions you learned in school about, like, how, where is the boundary of Europe? It's all extremely arbitrary. And then he shifts and he says, basically, Europe is an idea. It's not a, it's so much as a, as a his- geographical area. And it's defined by historical Christendom. And nobody wants to talk about that. So mm-hmm. what you get is this whole European in a sense like shell game where they'll talk about european values they'll talk about you know whether certain people fit or not and then they do somersaults over things like why turkey has been a european union candidate country since like 1986 or something (laughs) and i go you know i remember when we were young christians (laughs) i remember that you know like when you do the worldwide day of prayer and then you get to europe and it was the prayers were always like god europe is so complacent like and i mean it's Fired up young American evangelicals, we pray things like, uh, "God, please shake Europe out of its um, uh, out of its sort of slumber and its its sort of uh, self sufficiency." And boy, that seems like one of the most dangerously answered prayers of the last couple of decades, right? As the the European Union has, in the years I've been here, the European Union has gone from this incredibly self confident project to extremely rocky, right? And the the refugee crises, the whole question of how an increasingly large Muslim population can fit in Europe, and some, what happens is like the only people willing to talk about it are basically very, very right wing. Um, and that's not what I would like to do, but, I, but, but I love this, um, quote I came across from Yaroslav Pelikan who says, basically all of European history is a, is a struggle to try and come to terms with the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Um, and that, that I think that's a way that we, we need as missionaries to learn more to ha- it's almost like a tragic or a, a paradoxical view of of what we're doing and proclaiming the gospel is to say you know the we keep coming back because because Europe and the West and historical Christian nations cannot answer cannot find fundamentally satisfying stable answers to things outside of the gospel and that we took a ton of things from the gospel but we don't um we don't get to keep them without without the Lordship of Christ and um that's I think in any way, something that's triumphalist, but I'm really, really drawn to, I loved, um, I love listening to Tom Holland on his podcast, uh, about history and his book, Dominion, I thought was just fantastic. And there's a Indian guy named Vishal Mangalwadi, whose book, um, some people I know are translating into Croatian. He's going to come hopefully visit soon. And he also is an Indian speaks a lot about sort of from the East to the West and saying, you don't understand where you come from. You don't understand who you are. And uh, it's, because of all that, I think it's really helpful and important for us to – I think we have a lot more reason to be a lot more confident about ultimately who we are than than we often feel because we just feel the difficulty. Like, Barrett, I think you've mentioned so many times in this podcast of like doing evangelism in Sweden and just – there's a level in which it seems like you're – asking people to join in, you know, an alien cult or something, you know, it's, it, I know on first level how hard it is, but, it, and so it's really really important, at least for us that I think that we, we learn more and more to say like, no, 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 this is, um, not some bizarre Baroque kind of eclectic weird thing. This is like absolutely fundamental to all of the dynamics that Europe goes, is, is facing because European values are just basically, uh, you know, uh, taking of taking the the christian doctrine out of a christian anthropology right yeah
0: Yeah. the the book that you mentioned of the and i i didn't catch his name but the um uh indian guy um yeah
1: what
0: what are some of the things that he would say you don't understand where you come from
1: uh vishal mangal wadi and so he wrote a book a long book called the book that made your world and now he's written a shorter one that's a lot more accessible um Mm -hmm he says, like, I think one of his uh, great moments is he says uh, um, that, um, and we, you know, you go back to the United States, maybe in the West, you say, well, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Um, uh, Supposedly, in the original drafting of that, there was a a moment when they were going to say, we hold these things to be uh, divinely revealed. But then they didn't, there was a moment of the enlightenment, and they didn't want to, they didn't want to count it on that. So they wanted to basically cash it out on reason. So we, we hold these things to be self-evident. Now, of course, immediately there's a lie to that because slavery was legal in the United States at the time. So, but it was an aspir- it was at least an aspirational statement. And he would say, you know, as an Indian, um, those kind of statements are only self-evident to a basically Judeo-Christian culture. He said, for me as an Indian, it is self-evident that people are not created equal mm. because of the whole legacy of the caste system and yeah. of the centuries and centuries of, of their system of values, basically. So um, I think that that's a, an interesting dynamic where where, and, and we see I think we see this more and more. I mean, and that's a big part of my experience being, you know, my wife being Croatian. I mean, of course, like in so many things we agree, but there's, there's things that are not that are self-evident to her sort of in the art to me or vice versa because of right. the different ways we grew up. And there's definitely a ton of things with migration, friends and stuff where I realized like, Common sense does not work cross culturally often, right?
0: <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Baird's finding out a lot. Yeah, we're not going to go into the list here, but there's a few things where I'm still trying to to wrap my head around it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and that's but that's wonderful because I mean, in a sense, it says like, no, no, no. We are so much more deeply formed by certain um, cultural, religious yeah. things than than we're willing to 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 reason I, I don't know i feel like in a secular in a in a europe that's this weird mix of having its its christian heritage and increasingly secular i find the approach of someone like Tom Holland, who is himself not identified as a Christian, like he's mm-hmm. kind of on this weird liminal state between belief and non-belief, <laughs> but to be to be absolutely fascinating because he he has this mind that will always. It's a, it's a running joke on this podcast that he has with this guy uh, Dominic Sandbrook uh, the rest is history that Tom Holland on almost every episode is gonna gonna say well you know and and then like sandberg says like oh my gosh you're gonna do your christianity thing again aren't you and he goes well yeah and then so you know he'll tie something some dynamic some dynamic back to um the history of christianity in the west or whatever
0: yeah you remember uh christopher hitchens uh yeah you know he was you know wrote a wrote god is not great and you know was known as the four horsemen of the yeah atheist apocalypse or whatever back in the 90s and 2000s. His brother is a strong Christian, uh, Peter Hitchens. And um, Peter Hitchens would always call his brother out and say, you don't know whose shoulders you're standing on to make the pronouncements you make. Because Christopher Hitchens, in many ways, would stand up for social justice and right and wrong in ways in some moral clarity that was often frustrating to Christians and, and people of belief. Because you were kind of like but how can you make that pronouncement uh for you know he was a free speech absolutist and in, in different yeah. things and so his brother would always just say that his brother would get frustrated with him and and call him out publicly and say you know you're you're standing on the shoulders of christian thought in order to be able to say that because what you're saying doesn't make sense without the christian god and definitely i would have that conversation oftentimes in sweden because you know, in many ways, the ideals of Sweden are held up as, uh, you know, ideal in, in many places. Uh, even if Spaniards, when I, it's so funny, when I mentioned that I lived in Sweden, if anyone's ever been to Sweden, a Spaniard will kind of get real squinty-eyed and go, I've been to Sweden. It's very calm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, I, yeah. which I love. It tells me everything I need to know about the differences in culture. It's very yeah. calm. Uh, last-, it's calm.
2: <laughs> yeah, last, last night, we were having dinner with some friends. They moved to Spain. They're from like upstate new york he's he's planted church and our two daughters have grown up together and the last three years her, their their young their daughter this uh has been in black force academy in germany so last huh. night i we were we were hanging out and talking just kind of because our both our both girls are getting ready to go to college just kind of got together as families and hung out and uh and so i asked i said well what did you miss most about spain when you were living in germany and she goes the noise <laughs> wow yeah it's 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 quiet in Germany, and there's quiet hours and you, you're supposed to be quiet yeah. and you know there's she's like there's always chaos and noise in spain i, I love it and my daughter said the same thing she's yeah the chaos just that, that there's something always going on there's always uh movement like that was what they they, they like about spain because they've grown up with it right
0: yeah so, the, yeah. but, so, so to turn that into some spiritual sense or whatever, as, as you learn, well, cause I do think it's related. I think, I, I think cultural stuff, we as mission practitioners don't put enough weight on realities like that. So, yeah. so, you know, a German comes in and wants to present, you know, Jesus as the God of, uh, you know, the God of order or whatever, order. you know, and, and, <laughs> and quiet. Yeah. And the Spaniard Law. is going, why do, why do I, <laughs> why, why I do that? I want that God? Like he's boring, yeah, you know, yeah. whereas, you know, Jesus is the God who, who carried passion and carried it to the cross and the, the took chaos and made order out of it in a, in a, in a good sense. And a very, you know, and cause there's, there's a commercial that Zlatan Ibrahimović did in Sweden one time uh, for Volvo and son of Christian Bosnia. Yep,
1: yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs>
0: um, and, uh, Zlatan, I love Zlatan because he is so not Swedish. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and not like, it's not a knock against Sweden. It's just that he just is- He's brash. And, Yeah, and yeah. he like, you know, he he he's, joined he's bald- the LA Galaxy and took out an entire one page ad in the LA Times that said, you're welcome, Los Angeles. <laughs> so, so but anyway, so, and that's just not Swedish at all. But um, anyway, so he, he did this, uh, he, he basically is, he's, he's quoting the national anthem of Sweden. And then he said, and then the tagline uh, by Volvo is made by Sweden and in Swedish the it's so it's not in English, but it's, but in Swedish, the intonation is made through what Sweden is. So Sweden and the landscape of this, of this landscape has formed this particular car. So the car itself is a reflection of the people in the landscape of this place. And languages like that, as I'm trying to pick up Spanish phrases, like prepositions are funny in language, but like,
1: they're very, I I dream.
0: I, you know, I dream about someone or I dream of someone in English, but in Spanish, I dream on that person. And uh-huh. it's like, what is that telling me about the way that we think about that action or whatever else? And you'll get some incredible cultural insights into things. I don't think we should throw those away because there is insight into, well, how has a people been formed? Like, um, Maybe some of the, you know, a smaller thing and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but like countries like Bosnia and Croatia, which have faced, you know, basically the histories are are both amazing and tragic yeah. at the same time. Language and culture has There's responses to that. And so the humor that's in in associated with those things and the way the language forms informs us of the hurts and fears that a people has. And in large part measure, American English is different than British English because we threw a, you know, we threw the king out, you know, like we we fought a war to be able to say, I don't want a king. Well, it's no wonder that we don't really respect Jesus as king. You know, we kind of want just a president that we elect and then look on the stuff we don't like about, we're going to throw that part of Jesus out. You know, it's easy for us to do that.
1: I think you get a lot of that in the the level to which a language uses and a culture uses direct versus indirect communication and speech yeah. and 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 that's that's some of that really really deep stuff right it's like um how how much you get yourself in trouble because you can learn a language and know the words that people are saying but you cannot you yeah. can still miss whatever I, one of my best friends from college is Chinese American and he said and this is the exact same thing applies in Croatia he said I had to learning up growing up I had to learn whether my When I'd spend time with white people, I had to remember that they, whether they were chinese asking or american like white people asking because it's like do you want you know you go over someone's house and say do you want something to eat and and an american will say that as just a yes no up down question and so but as a chinese person you have to decline three times and this is similar in croatia so john said he constantly went hungry because americans would say are you hungry he would say no and they say okay fine (laughs) move on (laughs) and and you know and then in his cult but but as a as a polite young chinese person he knew that like like they're offering maybe out of just a sense of, of, um, uh, their own honor that they need to do this. Maybe they really don't have enough food. So it's best to decline three times. And if they keep pushing on it, then they probably really mean it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, those things are. Yeah. Deep really go deep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but, But then it, so then it makes me wonder Paul, who's on the field writing these things, how much of the theology that Paul was forming, like you were saying, was on the fly or it was as he was going. He was was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but also forming these things to deal with the realities of, I'm not saying we should dismiss things because they were specific cultural, but to try to understand what was really going on and then apply that to, well, this is how this would work out
1: yeah well i'll give you one of my little little rants i don't know how this one will like this is uh, a safe strike, place or rants strike yes. or whatever is um like i don't know if you know i remember something i heard a lot uh in my earlier days on staff i hear it less but i still hear it is like Cultural stuff will come up in a team, especially if you have mixed mixed teams, or um, uh, you're trying to address some stuff. And and then there's a, a saying that's been really popular amongst evangelicals for a long time, where somebody will say, "Hey, you know what? I don't care about whether this is American culture or Croatian <laughs> culture or Swedish or Spanish. I care about gospel culture. Or I care about biblical culture." Yeah. And the the thing that that I was glad to hear that because it kind of pushed me down like a rabbit trail of a sense of kind of like really examining that. And it actually turns out that the the best most thought through you know evangelical missiology says that that's a kind of a meaningless statement yeah. none of us get to access a cultural free version of the gospel and it's not a bug it's a feature like yeah. god intentionally set these things up this way and sometimes when i'm being really naughty i will i've told people <laughs> i said like i said like you the in your grid you would be happier as a muslim than as a christian because islam presents the idea of one reified culture that is supposed to, and, and a, a time and a place, a language and a culture that was basically becomes the ideal. So you can only appreciate the miracle of Islam if you um, if you can read Arabic. That's why Quran should never be published without accompanying text in Arabic. Um, and uh, and the whole tension of Islam seems seemingly to be in the modern world is this struggle to say like, well, is there a way to live Islam out without returning to Arabia, Arabic language, the mores of the seventh century and all this kind of stuff. Whereas like, but our faith was designed as a portable faith from the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know if this is a weird rabbit hole you can go down. Like the people who, there's people on the internet who are all into this idea that matthew was originally written in hebrew and that you know our version of matthew is corrupted but if you can somehow read back through the greek into the hebrew text you can find out this idealized picture of matthew which is super scary to me theologically but shows like also a really um false impulse in us. like we we should it should really strike us that that our faith is so portable that God was not afraid to give us the words of Jesus, not in the language he spoke them in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a mind blowing thing that I think a lot of Christians and a lot of theologians really don't like grapple with is that, Mm -hmm. so our faith is designed to perfectly reproduce itself, enculturate itself into every new setting. And so God, and I don't know the plan. Like, I don't know what a fully, evangelized gospels shot through christ-centered creation spanish swedish culture is supposed to look like but that's the beauty of it is like it's for every people to figure out and it and it all adds part of the picture of like god's larger plan um and and that's a very different approach to culture than i think other world religions have but even many many christians and many missionaries don't seem to be able to kind of i don't know yeah yeah. how's that sound it's
2: i think that's it's exactly because you see this played out well i mean to get back to miroslav wolf he i don't remember which book exactly but he played talks about this a lot the 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 well the diversity i mean that goes back to trinitarianism the diversity unity, and and that god is the diversity and unity and so we keep trying to push back to the tower of babel but you know the tower of babel was to scatter people I mean, the, the what to destroy the tower about, there's to the, the scatter people and and mix up and create different cultures and create diversity, and then you have, of course, in uh, in Acts you have uh, Pentecost, right. right? Oh, those people all were speaking different languages. They didn't all start speaking one language.
1: Exactly. And
2: then we get to, we get to our image of, of heaven.
0: one day. Hey, Garrick, that was an amazing <laughs> point. There was that a whole was, crowd was good, cheering whole crowd. for you there. The live audience is really behind that, there's, there's a yeah. meeting
1: <laughs> in another there's, room behind this, me.
0: This, this, this podcast was report, recorded before a live studio audience. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then we get, and we get to heaven. And once again,
2: we're, it's not, we're all speaking Hebrew in heaven. It's yes. all cultures, tribes, tongues, and, and, uh, and peoples together, yeah. but unified in the worship of God. So it, yeah. the, the, there is something deeply built into how God planned all of creation and planned his mess gospel message. That is multicultural, multilingual, yeah. that is diverse, complex. Uh, and, you know, and it's, it, I think, I think you're, that's definitely right. the, the, w- where we often miss because we try to go towards the tower of Babel. We try yeah. to,
0: well, you know, it's, it's interesting because this is, this is the parts when, when for the last few years that I was in Sweden, these are the parts of the message of the gospel that I started highlighting. So, (laughs) because it, it became to Swedes a hopeful message that looked to the future of a future that they desire because Swedes didn't believe that they were sinful and they didn't believe that the past mattered. So when Mm. you come to them with, Hey, aren't you miserable? They're like, no, actually I don't live in a, poor African village, because they thought only poor Africans are miserable um, to to besmirch an entire people group here. Sorry, <laughs> but um, no, you know, what, the, the what, co- what do
1: you think when you're 18, 19 years old? Right, 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 right. The college
0: students I was talking with would often have this perspective. Um, you know, they just thought, you know, Swedes are taught to kind of accept their position in life. And they were very honest and were like, look, I live a great life. You know, I live in a very rich country. I, I have many opportunities. So they didn't want to kind of go, oh, my life sucks. But that's often our approach with the gospel is like, Hey, isn't your life miserable? And then they kind of go, well, maybe I guess. And then we say, aha, it's miserable. See original (laughs) sin. And you know, Jesus died for that. And they're like, but wait a second. I don't, well, first I don't believe in Jesus. And second of all, I actually really am not very miserable. And now I'm miserable because I'm talking to you, but so I just kind of (laughs) want to be done with this conversation, but, but we, we kind of in normal or in oftentimes in presentations of the gospel, we stop at that point of like, don't you want forgiveness of sins? And new life with Jesus, and then we kind of have this nondescriptive idea of relationship that maybe you can have, but they're kind of like I don't know what that means. But the message of the gospel is hey, there is actually this world that everything around you with these European values and multicultural ideas and everything else, you're you're striving for. And guess what? There was a guy who's been planning that all along yeah. and isn't asking you to give down, give away who you are. And there will be a multi- multicultural situation in which people dwell with unity, but it comes through this person of Jesus Christ. And we're looking forward to that ultimate. So I actually think in a presentation of the gospel. These days, an eschatological presentation mm-hmm. of the gospel is really important. Um,
1: interesting. That's really. I interesting. think I think
0: we need to bring back a good eschatology, and it could be a it can be a generous orthodoxy of eschatology, but knowing you know, but it just needs to be look the the basics of there's a there's a God who's coming back, and He's going to write it. So your your desire for a political player who's perfect, guess what? That's answered in this person, Jesus Christ. So right. hold on to that that what you want to see, but hold on to it in the person of Jesus Christ and hold on to the idea that you don't, you want, you know, uh, whatever it, whatever it may be. Um, Cause everything this- else is.
1: Yeah. Cause everything else is antichrist actually. I mean, right. that, that's the, like we like antichrist is this like boogie term or whatever, but the way you see it used in the, in the, in first John, it's really, you know, it's a, it's anybody who took something away from the gospel, then denied Christ and wants to kind of carry on, their own way with a part of that thing yeah and so this is all this like spinning off into history of all these different things i mean the classic example i guess would just be communism which is you know like a an attempt to 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 go oh we like the kingdom we just don't want to deal with the cross and the lord in it so but well and 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 this the super dangerous thing of communism is realizing you end up in a you you see all the flaws in christian history and you see the 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 30 years war or whatever, and these horrible things. And so you think like, I can do better. Like, yeah. <laughs> the faith part is bad. And then you take it and you do something that's unbelievably worse Yeah. <laughs> without Christ. Yeah. So, horribly. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, okay. So this is a good transition then, uh, Nolan. Um, I know you've worked on different ways of sharing the gospel. I think that's one thing in Europe we, we, we often, and probably in a lot of places we, we get hit the ground, uh, with the four spiritual laws. We start talking to people and we realize the, the the common sense that makes is so clear to us in certain parts of America is not the common sense uh, of how people think here particularly I think in some sense you you, you and I and and Barrett now uh, having the experience of Mediterranean Europe which has you know yeah a different set of rules um but you you worked on on an, on a, a different presentation not not a, not a different gospel a, yeah, but yeah. A, different, <laughs> a, a different way to uh to co- communicate um it's it kind of like, like what bear was talking about like trying to work eschatology work into into these the into people's hearts where they can connect with jesus and see who jesus really is i
1: yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for yeah, inviting me to talk about, I mean, and giving me a chance to talk about that because it's something I, um, really, um, want to see, uh, the, the conversation expand. Mm-hmm. So I, I got into the, the conversation about, um, what it means that there are honor shame cultures and how that interacts with the gospel, uh, around like 2008, started reading, reading some different things. And it, for me, it was kind of like a, A window into understanding a lot of interactions in Croatia, I I just couldn't understand, like, even as my language got good enough to, like, understand the words people were saying, I couldn't understand why people were emotionally reacting to things the way that they were. And I came across actually an article, I think, by a woman named Leanne. Oh, shoot Demsky or, or, uh, who is now, I think a professor in, um, Biola, who was a missionary in Spain for a long time. And oh, there was wow. an article called shame in Spain. Yeah, And I read this article and just thought like th- she hit on so many things that I felt like I was running into a lot in, um, uh, in Croatia. And I went, wow, I, I gotta learn more about this. So anyways, I've been kind of in that kind of world for, for quite a while. And, um, there was a conference in 2017 at Wheaton college around this area. And there I went and I met, um, Chris Sneller, who is, uh, uh, with, um, crew and is a head of, um, R and D for, for bridges. And he had, he contacted me that fall and he said, Hey, I I've gotten a commission basically to create new evangelistic presentations that are more culturally oriented. And, um, do you want to be part of this team? And it was one of the most exciting things I ever got to be a part of. So the, the first thing that came out of that was this presentation called Honor Restored, which is in the um, the God Tools app that is designed as a gospel presentation for um, honor-shame cultures. And to kind of just super quick, try and kind of sketch that out. The The, the presupposition is that Western cultures are, especially cultures that were heavily influenced by um, the, the Reformation, so a lot of Anglo-American cultures. be and a lot of catholic to a large extent a lot of catholic cultures can be described as um, what are called guilt innocence cultures where where personal conscience matters a lot your your sense that you have violated objective standards is is where your internal turmoil comes from, um, the, why you feel bad about yourself stuff comes from not measuring up to objective standards, but that that's actually not the majority way people in the world live. And that the most normal way people live in the world is, is more of an honor, shame or face based culture in which people are very sensitive to those around them. And, um, Uh, they are much more likely to be, uh, um, experience brokenness relationally. So, uh, a great example. I remember one person came up with is that, you know, doing evangelism, oftentimes you say like, well, don't you feel bad for the wrong things you've done? Uh, and, um, and. People be like, no, and there's this whole thing that what the the way the first uh, gospel, the first Bible translation into Chinese evidently, uh, you know, used a, a symbol for something like crime when translating sin. So it's challenging and talking with people about don't aren't you a sinner and a Chinese person is like, well, not a criminal, you know, it'd be an easy response and a, a great kind of honor shame type question that that uh, somebody from Bridges mentioned. He says, well, to just ask people, have they ever done anything their parents would be ashamed if they knew about and that that puts in a whole different category people go oh oh is that what you're talking about so that that um it's much more normal in the world to for people to experience their their lives through context of honor and shame and the crazy thing that happens when you start going down this trail is you realize the bible is written to an honor shame world so there are there are actually more things in the in the new testament even in a book like romans that are hitting on issues like glory honor disgrace um, then there are sort of explicit statements about God taking, like the Colossians verses, is a God objectively taking the the penalty that was against you and nailing it to the cross. And hallelujah, thank God that that's that that's the gospel. But that there's this is either another facet or another window or another angle on the cross, on what God accomplished, um, through honor and shame. And then we were able after that also to write another one, which is for what are called fear power cultures. That one's a little bit trickier, but that just that of the, for cultures, particularly that had traditional religions in which, um, the awareness of the spiritual world and of the forces and of trying to kind of deal with a very fearful world of spirits is kind of, um, So, but I, you know, yeah. So there are there are these three tools now. They're in this app called God Tools that are that Agape Crew worldwide uses a lot. It's been translated to many of our languages, and um, I I trained um, some of the folks from summer project teams that have been here in Croatia in them, and I I tell them like, you know, use this in a second conversation. You know, use this if you if you're trying to to talk through these things and. The whole you don't measure up to god's standard kind of conversation doesn't doesn't go anywhere doesn't doesn't you know get you that far you know talk to a conversation and and it, talking about shame is actually like super relevant to everybody every day all day long like um uh, in croatia still to this day kids um teachers will announce the the grades in the class after a test mm-hmm. yes. uh and this is Completely normal thing for the encouragement of the kids to do better, yeah. and you can imagine this would just be like it would be like a, a like a firestorm in the American education system, right? If teachers <laughs> yeah. routinely kind of were sharing publicly the grades, but it's for the encouragement of the others, basically, yeah. right? So you have these really strong cultural, you know, mom, moments that are still there in these areas. And, and I think it is, I think it's how in a, in a world of social media too, that's how people experience their brokenness. There's a great irony to the fact that the platform is called Facebook. It's like, you know, the whole like Eastern idea of your face, you are pre- constantly presenting your face to, to people. And if like you guys mentioned, I, you know, I posted some pictures of my first time in Croatia 25 years ago, there's a very nice feeling when a whole, whole bunch of people like those pictures yeah. and that's, that's basically the experience of social honor and and if people insult you on facebook or on a uh, on a social media platform that horrible feeling you have that's shame we may not want to talk about it but that's what that is so those are some thoughts
0: do you think through social media um i've been wondering about this because i feel like even though sweden is you know protestant and the guilt you know that dynamic is at play i feel a lot of there's a lot of shame culture uh shame yeah. that, that is at play in in europe that we don't like to recognize yeah do you think that that's ever increasing now with with yes. social media like it seems like even in, even in america a lot of the i don't know uh, cultural cultural uh wars that are going on are really shame based wars yes They're trying to shame people into certain behaviors or, or Mm -hmm. or different things. And that happens on both ends of the spectrum. So that's not, that's, I'm not thinking of political.
1: No, that's, I think, I think social media has resurrected a, a shame based world. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the ways you can try and talk to even say, I don't know, a 60 year old American about this is say like, well, Do you remember what you felt like in junior high when you were super sensitive to the thoughts of others and stuff? And like, oh, yeah, I didn't like that. And it's like, well, yeah, because you passed out of it because then you became an adult in a world that was at least I mean, no, like every society is full of hypocrisy and brokenness and stuff. But at least like the top line idea was you if you measure up to standards, you can be a proud person. Uh, I remember one time a guy said, yeah, this is like the American um, ideal, like we are men of we are a nation of laws, not men you know, objective standards, not, not relational capital basically. Um, but, uh, um, what social media seems to do is it, it means that it, kind of, you never leave junior high, mm-hmm. that you are, you are always now, um, vulnerable to the group, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that, um, is, just, I mean, in this, like, then that that's why our, our kids our younger generation is, is, um, potentially, you know, seeing this as such a bigger struggle. And I think like the, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think like an ancient, I mean, for one thing, a lot of got ancient Romans, like Caesar would have just dominated on Twitter or whatever. I mean, these guys knew that those kind of fights to them were, were everyday stuff, but then I think like the Stoics would have looked at social media and said, like, are you guys crazy? Like, do you not understand the, the power of this platform? Like get away from it. And, Mm -hmm. um. And, and there's a whole dynamic too, like cultural, um, people that do cultural studies about the new Testament say a lot, like there's this wonderful attention of the way that Jesus wins all the honor contests he gets into, like no one ever yeah. gets the better of him. Mm-hmm. So he's super, super good at it. But then like the whole sermon on the Mount is pretty much about like, like call it off. Don't do it. Don't, don't live your life that way. Um, my followers, like I can kind of like in a sense, like Jesus can handle it. And, but like, we're probably supposed to find a way to live more more humbly and stuff than that so yeah i think i think that's what what the the dynamic there is and that i mean barrett like that i'd love to have more conversation about that sometime like sort of like what you saw in sweden and stuff because i i doubt that people are as okay i think there's a i think it's actually a, a big cultural burden to be grow up in a culture i would assume where you're told like we pretty much have it the best anywhere in the world yeah um and uh supposedly there was a there was a really popular tv show in norway that was the name of the show was shame and it was about high schoolers and it was pretty rough and ugly and catastrophic. And, um, it's just, you know, in, the, in America, like, you know, get TV shows, like 13 reasons why they're supposed to be set in like the Bay area in California. There's supposed to be pretty much heaven on earth. Right. And just everybody's in agony all the time. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I think shame is a good, and shame is a really popular topic, but the, the way it's talking about it in America is always therapeutic. And it says like, basically you should have no shame. Right. Um, and this way it gets talked so,
0: about in Sweden, but the reality is everyone carries around lots of it. shame, different shame though, than it was a hundred years ago. Yes. Then it yep. was sexual shame. So yes. Sweden has removed sexual shame uh, completely, um, but there are other shames that, that people are carrying around. And then I see <laughs> more traditional shame at play here in Spain. Uh, yeah, less so than maybe I did when I was living in the in Central Asia, but but it's certainly at play to a greater degree. But I, everyone's carrying shame around, so I I, I don't know. I, I I've been I've been aware of the honor and sh- honor restored, uh, you know, tool and and amazed at what you guys did, and I want to I'm gonna I, I want to start using it around here to have those conversations to to get into see if we can get deeper or maybe there need maybe maybe long term i'm ideating now maybe long term there needs to be a a european honor restored you know yeah kind of kind of uh tweak to it for for some of these look shame shame i don't know it seems to me in in genesis right shame is what we're dealing with at the end of the day that's that's where it comes in and that's one of the biggest drivers of of sin in the world, uh, is the shame that we feel for things, which leads us to other sin. It leads us to our anxieties, which leads to. Yeah.
1: One of the things I, I want to do is, um, some, I mean, I would love to be a part of at some point I thought of the, like, with digital strategies or something is actually to try and design surveys or something that would be appealing to people that would kind of give them a, like a personality test almost like what percent, you know, are you guilt shame or fear sort of oriented and then say, well, this is means that in your life you're you're looking for these kinds of things. And then like, Hey, are you, you know, would you be interested in in kind of how the Bible speaks to those specific areas? Because you have these wonderful verses and, you know, passages that really directly go at a lot of those experiences. And I think there is a way in which, um, uh, you know, one of the beautiful honor shame moments in the new Testament is the woman who with bleeding, who, you know, fights her way through a crowd to get to Jesus. And, and it's, you know, when you think about it, like she was, ceremonially um uh polluting every single person she came into contact with Mm -hmm. on her so it wasn't just that she was bold she was like risking, I mean, somebody could have just knocked her down or something like, how dare you, you know, that she, that, that she is pushing her way through a crowd to get to him in this boldness. And then you have this reversal of 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 cleanliness and, and a lot of Muslim cultures is still a really strong value. And it's closely related to the sense of like where your shame and stuff is. And so, and then this reversal happens where when she touches Jesus, instead of him becoming unclean, she is made clean yeah. um, by the interaction. And I think that's one of the things we kind of to learn to try to proclaimed, especially to young people in Europe today, I think is relevant is like, uh, God can touch you in the deepest parts of your, cause I, I think one of the, it's, it's super hard to be told you can be anything you want to be like, and then if you don't measure up and I guess if you're a young Swedish person, I guess it was like, and you, you can't figure out your own life. Like how pathetic is that in a sense? Because you've had every natural <laughs> advantage, like right. your system, I mean, in like in, the in quotes your system is perfect right um uh, and
0: most most swedes secretly believe that
1: yeah yeah (laughs) i mean so if you can't figure it out like you have nothing i mean there's aspiration in in countries that still feel like they're kind of messed up and trying to figure it out and get past their past and and everything but um when you're told because i see that in wealthy communities in like california like where, where i used to live and stuff like it's a huge burden to have uh, have on yourself as a young person that that you are supposed to now figure out how to how to make a name for yourself, basically. Yeah. Um, and and then tons of people get stuck, and so you end up with you know. Well, yeah. you know,
0: it's it's interesting because you, you, it's funny you talk about America being a you know guilt versus um, innocence culture, but yet so much of what drove founding fathers was making a name for themselves it was oh, still yeah. shame and honor right cuz they yeah. their writings are full of it like abraham lincoln was bummed as a young man because all of the all of the truly great things that could be done to make a name for oneself had been done in the country now it was just oh me. wow and, and so, and he had this desire, it was an enlightenment honor, right? So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, you know, traditional, you know, Eastern honor, but it was still, it was still honor. And so we That's see those things in play. Yeah. Uh, we were so, still, so,
2: we've been, until recently, settling a lot of disputes with, with duels. If you think about it, yeah. it sounds more of it because it, it wasn't, you know, the whole, Well, I mean, it's kind of a, a cliche, you know, ma'am of you besperching my honor or the bespurching the honor of my but it was a way of dealing with that, even probably in the old West, you know, where you had the yeah. violence, uh, you know, America's- And there's
1: a, there's a fascinating, place. you know, research that's been done on like, cause everybody hate, like, culturally people were aghast at dueling for a very, very long time. And there's all this pressure that was put on in various ways to try and kill dueling. And it often came from the church or it came from women, or it came from, you know, more civilized institutions. And the great irony is that supposedly dueling only died when it became popular amongst the lower classes. So, <laughs> so when, when, and it lost its sheen, like it lost its, its, its honorableness when, when the riffraff started doing it. And then the upper classes finally put it aside, wow. which is a, yeah, that's a fantastic like window into saying, yeah, like uh-huh. the honor thing was always there. It was just kind of, it was just kind of buried um, or it was something you don't look at. And, so, and the, all this stuff is tricky. And one of the difficulties was something like honor restored. I can say we, we were thinking about international students when we wrote it, we were thinking about how to make it um, so we used the, the reader's version of the NIV and, and knowing it was going to be translated, I really appreciated working with people who were, we were, all of us were thinking the whole time, how will this sound in target languages, but it's, it is a, like one of the feedback, some of the feedback we get, which I understand is it's kind of on the nose. Uh, it talks, it uses the terms, honor and shame a lot. And, um, and I remember coming across a quote one time, like one of the reasons it's really tricky about this topic is that it's shameful to talk about shame. Mm, yeah. So when you, if you, and <laughs> a tip for anybody who uses it or whatever, maybe is to, is to actually kind of be aware you're you're kind of like handling dynamite. Um, if you <laughs> yeah, open this yeah. conversation with people and, and to try and be really um, careful about it. Um, yeah. Mm.
0: Wow.
2: So uh, let's, let's get back a little bit to, um, the uh, the network for theology and culture, yeah, theology and culture for mission. Um, because I, I think that's something we, we we've talked to you a little bit before. You we we had a little, we yeah, quick discourses. Um, and and this idea also of you know, wh- wh- where do you see that going? Where are you hoping? Yeah, where's where's your heart in the in, in the next couple of years of, of yeah, how thanks. that can impact Europe? Um,
1: yeah thank you um uh, you know it was, it was it's been it's been tumultuous because um the of course the invasion of ukraine just has for yeah. all of all of our colleagues and stuff been yeah. a uh um you know just so, so devastating and so um uh there's that and then there's also the that this this new I mean that's kind of inside baseball stuff, but this new organizational structure for us is a um, is, is a big challenge uh, in terms of figuring out what it's really going to look like. So what is a network? Uh, so this is supposed to be a network inside of now Agape Europe, um, but uh, you know what I really want to see happen is I want to know who 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 loves this stuff in, in, in all of our countries and who uh, um, is involved. There is a uh, uh, one of the big. Uh, things that was hard to resolve between our two, you know, we had this, uh, 20 countries in sort of Eastern Central Europe and 25 or more countries in sort of a Western European, uh, area. And now now we're all together, which I think needed to happen a long time ago. Um, but, uh, Uh, the, the challenge is that, um, the Eastern side had a formalized, um, curriculum of, of courses for new staff, like American, uh, campus crusade crew staff have, uh, and so 10 or 11 or 12 courses you took hopefully over the first five years you're on staff. And so that team is still the, uh, working to provide those courses to the countries that want them. So a big, and I've talked to people from Agape who have said that there were various, um, Various countries have their own system and various countries, and there had been conversations in the past about trying to advance that. Um, but um, Agape was more decentralized and the world we're moving into is more decentralized. So it's it's uh, it's about providing possibilities for people, mm-hmm. not orders. So, you know, how do we build it out so that people know what's going on? I think it's kind of just been always one of the things for me that has just been unbelievable sometimes is how hard it is to find out just what your own colleagues in Agape. Like, in our organization are doing like what resources are there. So, um, uh, I'm looking to be able to find, you know, one, two, three people in each country who, who just like this kind of stuff, you know, and so I think what you guys are doing was a fantastic pioneering thing in that move is in that direction is just, Hey, I actually have colleagues who like to sit around and talk about these kinds of things and are inviting other people in. And, um, so what you guys are doing is fantastic. And I'd say that's a, a linchpin of this network is, is what you're doing. Plus we have the, um, the, the, uh, the 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 IBTS team, so they they have a number of courses that they can offer. But longer term, what I really hope to see is more as some is gatherings and um, uh, even conferences. I think where we would pull people together and really give uh, uh, our staff a chance to present what they've learned, what they figured out, what they're struggling with, and even failure. Like failure is a very very good teacher. So um, for us to be hearing more from each other, and Europe is. Really complex uh, uh, because the number of different languages and identities people have, and there is an identifiable sort of Europeanness that people share, uh, but there's also still national and even sub national differences. Um, I love these like uh, demographic maps that don't just the European Union does so much interesting research, right? So there's not just national maps, but like sub national maps about many. I don't know, whatever, how many people are overweight, how many people are married by a certain age, how many kids people have, like all this kind of stuff. And when you see it on the sub national levels in Europe, you realize, wow, this is fascinating how different things are. You can always still see Eastern Germany, the former East Germany on every like demographic map, right? It just pops up because it's, it's in such a different state than the rest of um, Germany is. And so uh yeah i'd love to see us become more um more organization that loves and and platforms that and of course f- anybody who says i have it all figured out things are going great guns in our context <laughs> and people are coming to christ like crazy sure just go for it man like I, you know i don't i don't want to slow you down yeah. but i think that you know in more and more places uh we've got a lot of people um i love the illustration or the idea of like sometimes you just people are out of bullets and sometimes you know you can give them a few more bullets to try and shoot that's a violent <laughs> image but you know sometimes but just people need to you know they they need more um more more things to to take a whack with and and people leave the field they they stop being missionaries right because they they can't conceive of anything more than say using the four spiritual laws if no one listens to them that's it it like that's it and and I think that's kind of a tragedy.
2: Yeah. I I think one of the things that, you know, Barrett and I talk a lot about, and then I think has been uh, something of a, of a passion of mine myself is, is trying to get, you know, we talk about missional thinking practitioners or a friend of mine, Jason Clark, who said, you know, reflective practitioners, but Mm. the the ability to build a grid about what's really happening and understand what's really happening and, and understanding it's not the, uh, the simple you know, kind of pat answers we sometimes give ourselves in crew or in, in, in American evangelicalism, but there's a lot more going on. And we, we we really need to help people think through those things so that they do stay. So they do understand what's, you know, it's because I, I feel like we we intentionally or not, we often guilt ourselves, right? And it's that, like, well, we didn't do it right or I'm not doing it the right way or I'm not the person for this. And so a lot right. of people do. Leave. I mean, I remember having a conversation with a guy who had been on stint uh, you know, great guy, you know, fantastic, you know, person, fantastic believer. And he had come back to visit Granada. And you know, for him, he had been in Spain for one year as a stintor. And in his, in his mind had come, it was great. They loved Spain, but they did nothing. And there was, and, and because of that in their mind, they, they did nothing. So nothing is happening in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And nothing has been happening. And I, and I remember I was standing there with uh, a, a younger staff who had come out of that same ministry that he had pioneered. Right. You know, it was many, many years on, but this is a guy who's on staff who became, you know, became a Christian in the ministry, who's leading other people to Christ, not, not, not huge numbers, but, but sure, stuff's yeah. happening, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's worthwhile to him and it's worthwhile to those people. And I remember we were talking to him. We said, you know, Hey, we said, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for coming here and struggling and being here a year Yeah. because it set the groundwork for this and this and this. And I mean, he just started crying because he, he had wow. this sense of like his entire, that, that year of his life while well, he loved Spain and, and had a great, you know, met his wife, those all, 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 all good things happened, but he just felt like well, we were just we were just here doing nothing. We were spinning our wheels. Wow. And and I feel there's so many people, even who maybe even spend four or five years or longer, because they they aren't able to see the whole, you know, the, the three of us, we've been around a bit. We've been able to see the, the bigger spectrum and the bigger process that's happening here. Um and probably someday we'll get to look back at the 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 hundreds of years of what happened and yeah and go, wow god's really did amazing things. But it's so I really want to encourage like people to have the 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 perspective, but also the ability to think through what's going on. So because there is hope, and not just yeah. to go, wow, it's it's this is pointless, let's let's just go home. Uh yeah, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's a big need um in Western Wow, America.
1: that's beautiful. That's one of the one of the people that's also really helped me stay sane or whatever, is um uh, been reading Leslie Newbegin, mm-hmm. And he has this great meditation in one of his um in his books, where he he really start talks a lot about First Corinthians fifteen, and says that Paul's whole exploration of um, of the resurrection in First Corinthians fifteen, a lot of ways comes back to the idea of saying that um, because of the resurrection, your faith and your work is not in vain. And he basically ends it by more or less saying that there's an analogy between the the way that jesus had to die and then wait to see his to see his work and his life resurrected and and paul's awareness of his own ministry um so so always you know he ends by saying like so always be faithful or always be um um uh persistent because you know that your labor is not in vain Mm -hmm. and there's a beautiful song that actually came out there's a really neat um um worship project um i think it's somehow associated with uh redeemer in new york city called the um shoot the name's escaping me right now but if you if you look like your labor not, is not in vain it's a really beautiful song and and i think that's also part of the more of the missiological preparation we we need to like not just the triumphal stuff but the yeah. the jesus language around like unless a you know unless a seed falls to the ground and dies it cannot bear fruit and that whole yeah. thing that you're going to experience a, a kind of death in the missions field mm-hmm. but But because our faith is all about resurrection after death, (laughs) you know, that's, we're supposed to be able to be in that, you know, mindset of saying like, like, yeah, the, the things that you, that's a beautiful story, Eric, like to, to, I mean, it's sad in a sense. It took a long time for him to reconnect with that, but that's a huge milestone to like kind of years later, kind of get reconnected and realize it wasn't in vain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's an um, it highlights also the importance of us as people who are in a place long term. So whether it be Americans or Croatians in the place, but to say, Hey, you're not in, you're entering at a point in history, but history will not did not start with you and it will not end with you. You're you're here for a little while and God bless it. Like, uh, you know, there were two, two pictures that we always use in Sweden. You know, in a lot of older cultures, uh, you can go walking and there's always stone walls and you wonder, you know, who put that stone wall there and why did they do it? And the whole reason that they did it was because there were there were stones in the fields and they needed to get crops out of those fields. So they, they made stone walls because it was what the materials that they had. And we as Americans go, oh, wow, isn't that great stone wall? And it's like, yeah, you don't understand that stone wall was a lot of effort. And generations built those stone walls over a long time in order to get the fruit out of the ground at a later point. And so we would always tell people in Sweden, "You, where are you entering in? You may be pulling stones to your entire year. Don't yep. think, but don't think that that's 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 not worth it. Uh, yep. It is worth it. But it's it's kind of the lot that you've been you've been, uh, been a <laughs> Beautiful year. picture. You know, it's not a lot, but it, but it is your lot in life. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and the other the other thing I would say is. Um, uh Michael Metatol and I once tricked uh, NT Wright into having lunch with us. <laughs> no right way <laughs> kind of so so Michael was trying to get NT Wright to... Um, to uh, sponsor him in a PhD program, and NT Wright said, "Well, you know, hey, I'm I'm not taking anyone new. I'm cutting my, my hours, blah blah blah." He said, "But hey, listen, if you're ever in, uh, if you're ever in uh, in St Andrews, look me up. I'd love to have a further conversation about this." So Michael calls me and says, "Hey, you want to go to St Andrews?" And I said, "I said why?" He said, "Meet with NT Wright." I said, "Sounds like a plan." <laughs> so so then he emails NT Wright a couple of weeks later. He says, "You know, hey." Matter of fact, I'll be in England. Would you like to meet up for lunch? So we go and have lunch with N.T. Wright. And we were asking him about uh, kind of, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And so here is one of the world's foremost theologians, uh, brilliant mind. And I got a little ticked because he said, well, I'll quote Leslie Newbigin. And I was like, well, come on, man. I'm buying your lunch here. I want some original thoughts. And uh, and he says and he quotes Leslie Newbegin. And he says, "I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus has risen from the dead." Yeah, amen. yeah. And and but, but to me, that's why I kind of go look. Gospel presentation needs to be about eschatology. It's 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 that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's coming back. It's that hope that carries us through. And somehow, I do think that. Well, let me just say, I think we need to constantly keep that in front of us in all of our conversations, whether it be you know evangel- evangelistic conversations or whether it be theological and missiological conversations that hope that Jesus rose from the dead he will he will return carries us through for all of the difficulties and all of our faults and all of the shame and everything else that we have that that's the yeah. piece that we we constantly forget i forget it every day but I do, th- yeah. I do think it's really important
1: and i i hope that that's the great i mean how to put this like uh the great strength of our organization is its dedication to like, let's let's get out there and try. Yep. Um, and, and I think we lose ourselves if, if we lose that, but, but I noticed that what the fatigue exhaustion or whatever that sets in for a lot of people is the feeling like, you're asking me to go out there and grind on stuff that I have lost hope in. Yeah. Right. Like, like doing ran, like, you know, one year, our, our staff team decided like, we're just going to go all out and, you know, first present the God, this is, this is like 15 years ago, present the four spiritual laws on every single first appointment, go for it, whatever. And, and, and see what happens. It was like, they were able to track that year, are like 400 gospel conversations and zero people coming to yeah. Christ. Yeah, And same they were same. like, well, you know we did it like you know and so like i don't i don't want to encourage anybody to just grind against the you know kick against the goads you know like all the time but our creativity i think is a is a huge strength that the body of christ really needs there's a there was an article released of a interview with the pope um uh, a few weeks ago and it had a, of course a couple juicy statements in it about like his take on the german bishops if you're following all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but one of the people asked him about about evangelism and he just basically straight up said like I don't know I don't know how to share the you know gospel in Europe right now yeah. and and uh I think that creates yeah. actually a huge opening for us I can yeah. tell that like there's a there's a I mean the, the part of what I'm trying to push into myself these days is getting to know a lot more of these like pretty high level um big Catholic charismatic renewal movement leaders mm-hmm. in Croatia I know a lot of them and well, you know there's a there's a priest that has a um, an organization for a street, they call it street evangelization. The best I can tell most of what they do is they do parades and they go out on the street. So they're like kind of out in public with large numbers and, and it draws crowds. Um, but the whole idea of like training people, was a similar you know, moment for Americans in the you know 1960s with Bill Bright. It's like people did not know how to share their faith. And, and so the force spirit and the four spiritual laws was a radical document at the time. I mean, it's, it's interesting how like people, Um, it had a contextualization bold move in it with that in starting the gospel presentation that said, God loves you instead of saying you're going to hell, right. That was this bold move thing that he did. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, and so we're still here. And so, you know, Barrett, if you, you know, can dream up a way of like talking about eschatological hope or whatever for Europeans. And uh, like, I think like we should be trying a lot of stuff and that's the, sort of good side of having some, you know, the American to the organization and being sort of more pragmatic and everything, right. but that, but that's the way innovation happens in the world today. It's just like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, it companies, they don't know what's going to work. They just do a heck of a lot of AB testing and f- chucking stuff out there. And then they go, Oh, wow. Who knew that? Like, this is, was the color people were going to like, and yeah, yeah. I don't want us to see us become totally data driven or something like that. Yeah. But I, I just think that it is a time of, you know, we should feel very free to be, to experiment and to, trying new things and that's why you guys have been encouraging to me is like when i mm-hmm. listen to your podcast you're 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 open you know to that and you haven't gotten fired so <laughs> <laughs>
2: that, we haven't received any pink slips yet but they may not know yeah. where
0: we uh yeah <laughs> where we live <laughs> My, my whole staff career has been going to the uh, forgotten places of the earth. In order, to, <laughs> yeah, I, literally, I, I literally live 40, 40 miles from a place called the end of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, it's I don't know been my strategy. And they uh, can't fire uh, you if they can't
2: find you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nolan, where if someone's looking to get involved in this network, how how can they get connected? Ah. How can they start? Uh,
1: so the the um the the network itself right now exists on this internal platform we have for people in agape called workplace so if you look on workplace and you look for this thing called theology and culture uh for mission um would love for you to you know, just hit that hit the, the the join like follow whatever button it is on that platform and um and start posting you know just start like you know writing stuff or replying to other people things like that i mean we we have kind of, a, uh, it's a little bit slower, uh, moved a little bit slower than I hoped it would with, again, the things I was mentioning before, yeah. but, um, um, uh, that's just to get to know people and, or, or send me an email, uh, nolan.sharp at crew.org and say, Hey, I'm here. This stuff interests me. Um, and like, you you know, uh, uh, I, I think. I think that that's kind of like there's there's the one side which might be the I don't know if that's supply side or or kind of like trying to figure this out but the I think there's the demand side too which is that just that like Barry bringing up NT right I mean we have smart students in a lot of places that are reading NT write and are saying like I love this uh and you know I'm not sure how much a lot of our staff feel comfortable um entering into some of those discussions without again Maybe you guys in Agape didn't have as much of that, but in Eastern Europe, it was a little bit more of a kind of a gatekeeper mentality. Sometimes of like, like well, let's not, let's just not bring that into the conversation because it'll it'll take away from our focus or whatever. But it's pretty hard to do with people, especially. I think that's another thing that's happened in the culture of missions and the culture of Christian organizations is we we didn't see the deeper level of the shocks of um cult- culture shifts that happened in the internet basically because it used to be possible to just you you knew the world of your denomination or of your organization mm-hmm. and not a whole lot else but now it's like a couple clicks on the internet and you've fallen into some totally different side of the world and so and it's it's so it's challenging like there's no way we as we as missionaries can keep up with everything that's out there but I bet there's somebody amongst 2000 missionaries with agape in Europe. There's probably somebody who, who has actually thought about it. So just that we would know each other better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, either that workplace group or email works real well. Yeah.
2: Well, we probably need to wrap up, but I do think it's important before we go to mention Obs-
0: obscure mu- music, reference coming right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, darn it. Just to mention uh, another gift Croatia has given to the world is the beautiful game. Some, some great soccer players. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think your, 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 son plays, plays soccer. Yeah. Or, yeah. Sorry, that's... I mean, f- football, we understand. And, and to yeah. all you Brits out there who are like, it's called football, actually soccer. Exactly. You know, association football. It's a British term that was used up until you routinely the 80s, routinely yes. up until the eighties. And when Americans started using started playing it and started calling it soccer the brits said we can't call it that anymore let's call it football so just if you are out there it's called soccer and that it, it, it's okay to say soccer. it's okay to say soccer. yeah <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah no that, i'd love to talk about that like you you had mentioned on the email and i was thinking about last night when i was on walk a little bit of like god God gave me I think as a dad like a huge gift through through uh through that and watching Dana my older son play soccer football and my younger son Philip uh was uh was a, uh doing piano training for seven or eight years but the whole way that the whole way that activities are handled in Europe you guys I'm sure we could that could be a whole nother podcast is raising your kids in those kind of environments but the way that you typically choose like one activity it's not in school you join a full-blown professional organization basically from a yeah. very young age so I played recreational soccer badly for 10 years as a kid growing up and i remember i was like when I saw that my son's team, like, and boys would be, they'd be scoring goals off of headers in like second grade and stuff. And I was like, I don't remember seeing that till we were like close to high school or something. I don't and, there know, was much one, and
0: there was one dude who could do it. Right. The there was the, yeah, kid, the yeah, yeah. one kid who's like, it's dad was Hungarian or something. Yeah. 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 So,
1: the, it was uh, a
0: Dutch exchange student who was actually <laughs> terrible in the Netherlands, but he
1: yeah, was a yeah, 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 <laughs> star in America. Uh, so that was, been a huge gift. I mean, Daniel just played. all. 12 years in the local that's almost across the street from us but they fought their way into a top-ranked league and he had various amounts of success and injuries and discouragements and stuff but we're very glad for him he's gonna he's gonna go to small christian college uh and uh um but he's gonna play on the team there oh, and i'm really really glad for him in that and uh i was thinking last night he it was it's also an interesting cultural Moment is that you know so Croatia came in second in the World Cup yeah. in 2018. I, I was and...
2: actually in Croatia during the game. It was a oh, loss.
1: Even, even yeah. the
2: loss, people celebrated. People no out it the was, streets and yeah, shit. yeah, it was it was uh it was amazing. And
1: there are a couple of things about that, that were really interesting. One, I'm gonna try and be brief. it's like one is that that was the last gasp of the last generation. So the older guys on that team, yeah. especially like Mario Mandrukic and Luka Modric and a couple of the other guys, were the last generation who had been themselves formed by memories they had of the war mm-hmm. so they had been very small boys when the war happened and had refugee. so I, i'm gonna get this is where i'm gonna get in trouble somebody will write you a note or something but I, as far as i remember like Mandukich and Modric and at least one of the other guys had been refugees themselves as kids mm-hmm. and so they had these powerful memories and experiences of that and um the cohesion that they had like as a as a team they had had they had had all sorts of disappointments in major, like in the euros and in the world cups. And like the 10 or 12 years leading up to that, it was like, kind of just considered this like complete meltdown. And they finally had this coach that somebody pulled out of nowhere. Like everybody, when they announced the national coach, Dolly, everybody was like, who, like, no one ever heard of the guy, (laughs) Uh but he seemed to have like, he was, so he wasn't trying to push them around a lot. He kind of like, he worked more on the spirit of the team and let them play and everything just like came together for them. And they were, they were constantly singing songs in the locker room together. And, and just the, it was just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen that when they came back, you know, they were supposed to, they were supposed to have a, a reception for them in the main square in Zagreb. And, um, uh, it was announced to be at such and such a time or whatever. It was just incredibly hot day in August. And, um, or late July or whatever. And uh um it took them like six or seven hours to get from the airport to the square because um people lined the whole route yeah. and over four hundred thousand people <clears throat> yeah. like came out to see them. Like that's ten percent of the population of the country. Yeah. Like it's just uh, you can't even put that in a category in the United States, right? You could never get thirty million people, no. Americans to squish in somewhere. Um, but, but that level of energy and, and, and appreciation for the team that came in second, yeah. um, was just, you know, was just, it was, it was stunning. And, and, and it was interesting, like, uh, after that, I, I had a, you couldn't find any creation Jersey stuff anywhere. It was a huge, huge missed opportunity for Nike that they <laughs> did not print a whole lot of stuff. So I had some bootleg jersey, and I wore it to a, um, a Global Leadership Summit event in Chicago. That summer, there were literally people from all over the world. And it was remarkable how many people came up to me from small countries and said, we were cheering for you guys. And they yeah. they knew every player's name. They knew so yeah. much about them. Because, like, I don't know, besides Croatia, when's the last time a country that's not France, Italy, Germany, Brazil, Spain, yeah. whatever, got into the finals of the World Cup. So it meant yeah. so much to other, to smaller countries, that like, yeah. maybe, like, if they can do it, maybe we can, too. Yeah. So it was... Right, cause
2: it was Croatia it was, is, a, is, in. I mean, you they, for population size, punched way, way above. above the weight. But, right. And, and to be fair, though, Croatia, okay, so 98, the team, the dvorak and that team were third incredible yeah. team you know so there, there's, yeah. there's something and something going on and now it's blessing america because of course the greatest american player right now yeah and is yeah fantastic there was player.
1: there was a combination of things in yugoslavia there the, the, a statistic or a, a story that i just kind of tickles me somehow or i find really f- interesting is that uh in high school I mean you were old enough to remember so tony kukoc was the he was a soccer player until he was 14 and he got too tall and then and there's a whole thing actually supposedly where being a good soccer player is actually good prep for becoming a good basketball player Uh because there's so much footwork involved that you know to be a really good basketball player a lot is about footwork and soccer players have all that down so but kukoc was a soccer player until he turned 14 and got super tall and they basically told him like this is gonna work out for you but he grew up like either in the same building or the next entrance to Slavin Bilic, who was one of the mm-hmm. great guys of that 98 generation. Yeah. And there's this crazy density of like um, young you know, guys from born in the sixties, basically like late sixties who went on to become superstar soccer players that were like involved with just a couple of clubs and split. And, and there was a, there was a thing in Yugoslavia where, because it was, I think what it was, is it was a, it was a socialist country. So they had a lot of central funding for sports and stuff like that, but it wasn't a closed country. So there was, these guys could go around and get training and get, you know, get contact with players from all over the place. Um, and, um, you know, it's a, and it's a croats are tall i mean just, there's several different things that go in there but it, it was it's it's really amazing how um and still to this day you know like a, a large number of the um european soccer uh, european basketball players that end up in yeah. in in the nba have serbian slovenian yeah. croatian Luka, whatever Luka Donic
2: in uh in dallas yeah is an yeah. incredible player yeah um, He's Serbian, but Slovenia, I believe.
1: Basically. So it is. And it's, it was funny for me to watch as I was never any good at sports. Um, my son go through this system and realize like how, uh, like how to put this, there's just an accept it doesn't work out for everybody. So it's a, you, you have to be able to put up with what in the America, what in America would seem like super old school harshness, basically yeah. Yeah. of just like, you did it wrong, do it again kind of stuff um it's a low affirmation environment and <laughs> yeah. uh for my younger son he didn't like it so but my older son just kind of it all fit for him and um and he, he thrived in it and he's like you know the whole the thing that everybody talks about in america now like resiliency and grit and all this kind of stuff well i don't know it's probably your kids in spain or whatever it's like you know yeah that that is not really that questionable for um the experience of growing up in croatia because There's no coddling kind of like, and, and there's, and I see the bad side of it too. I see the negative side of it. Yeah. It can be
2: toxic sometimes. Yeah. 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 We've seen a little bit of that with our daughter in in dance. Um, yeah. Professional dance conservatory. There's some good stuff. (laughs) Great. Similar experience, but also. Yeah. You
1: just, and so that, that's the part I I actually miss from America. I miss, I miss the, 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 but I, I think that's disappearing in the United States as well, but the older like American idea of, you just show up at school and you're not that stressed out about it and you you play two different sports and you're in band and you're in debate club and you're in, yeah. like like yeah. you know you just you just do all these happy things yeah. and then and you go to a decent college and but you're a well-rounded person so i think yeah. america the, the that traditional strength of america would be in preparing kind of well-rounded people um in in that middle class sort yeah. of yeah. From ideal
0: a, from an outsider's perspective who's been gone for 20 Two years now i think those days are gone <laughs> i think they are i mean they're i just i
1: they're going in the sense of that because i have a i have a, a nephew basically who experienced nephews who basically experienced that but in a small town in minnesota yeah
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah of course there's pockets and uh, look america is never short of a um, you know you're awesome and you know who was, yeah uh, one of our dutch staff one one time told me americans are great uh if you try 10 things and one succeeded you, you think you're the most amazing, you know, team that's ever existed. And the Netherlands, when we try, when we try 10 things, we look at nine failures (laughs) and it's like, oh yeah, okay. There's, there's, there's a difference. Uh, So we, we grew up with a, maybe a different perspective on ourselves. Well, yeah. listen, Nolan, uh, a huge, awesome. incredible pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, We're, this is fun. We need to do this again. Uh, yes. we'll get deep into the weeds on some, uh, minute theological issue about, uh, yeah, let's Her, do it. Her, Catholic theology. And, um, uh, but no seriously we, let's do it again um yeah definitely. listen if you want to get in touch with uh if with nolan uh staff or not staff if you think these things are interesting yeah you want to be a part of it uh, email them at nolan.sharp crew.org or if you are on staff and happen to be on workplace seriously do check out the theological and what, what i'm sorry again all right i'm a member theology of, and I'm culture for from. mission there theology you go theology and culture for mission great group uh and you will be blessed by it interact with it and uh, yep. add, add to the conversation uh as always guys uh hey actually nolan we're looking forward to getting you here to spain so we can walk the camino together so let's yeah uh, let's that's keep, that was that's another that we're talking about we're gonna get it, we're gonna make it <laughs> yeah. happen but until yeah. then guys have a uh, have a great afternoon great evening and uh buen camino